Well, we have come to the last chapter of the book of Isaiah. We started this series back in June. And quite honestly, as we come to chapter 66, the book doesn't end with warm fuzzies. When we read Isaiah 66, 24, you will see that. After the message, I'm so grateful that we have communion. And as a congregation, we will say the Lord's Prayer, and we will testify and confess in the words of the Apostles' Creed that he will come to judge the living and the dead. And Isaiah 66 tells of that great day. We are reminded that those who are made in the image of God will stand before the Lord himself, those who have come before us, those who are living with us now, and those who follow us if Christ does not come back. Eternity is at stake. Isaiah 66 reminds us what's at stake with the gospel. Both judgment and salvation, what we're talking about, is for keeps. I've been thinking about this all this week, of what it means to be living in as living, but being made in, in the image of God. What does it mean that we are made in the image of God? What would that look like? So during uh, this week, I took a study break. Sometimes when I'm working on a sermon, I'll just have a brain freeze. I need to clear my head. So I ran to the grocery store real quick. I drove by some construction workers under Highway 55, and I said out loud, those guys are made in the image of God. I saw teachers and administrators and kids at Robbins Elementary School off in the distance, and I thought, those people are made in the image of God. I drove by Calvary Catholic Community Center Cemetery, and I said, those once, all those people were made in the image of God. I saw people coming out of their vehicles at Menards East off Hastings, and said, those people are made in the image of God. I saw Aldi shoppers made in the image of God, especially the one who grabbed two bags of Twizzler licorice, and I thought, that is definitely made in the image of God, <laughs> for sure. I saw a young mom in a cool minivan. I said, she is made in the image of God. I saw another young mom in a cooler SUV with bad gas mileage, and I said, she too is made in the image of God. I'm reminded of this quote from Christian writer C.S. Lewis. You have never talked to mere mortals. Immortals are all mixed together. Just so that we understand each other, immortal means to live forever. Mortals are time-stamped. They have a shelf life. This is the actual quote from C.S. Lewis when he wrote in The Weight of Glory. He said this, There are no ordinary people. You have never talked to a mere mortal. Nation, cultures, arts, civilizations... These are mortal, and their life is to ours as the life of a gnat. But it is immortality whom we joke with, work with, marry, snub, and exploit. Immortal horrors or everlasting splendors. It is immortals who live forever. So the name of this message in light of Isaiah 66 is simply this, Immortals and the House of of God. Those that will live forever in some way, they will live forever. When you get to the last two chapters of the book of Isaiah in 65, you see that, it's, that the subtitle is Judgment and Salvation. But our chapter, chapter 66, on page 645, I want to invite you to find a pew Bible or if you have your own Bible to get there, page 645, you'll notice that the subtitle is called Judgment and Hope. And this this chapter comes with a cautionary tale. The saved and the lost are mixed together. 
Ignore his call at your peril. Our Father will bring the end to history, so be ready. And when you read the last two chapters, chapter 66, two thoughts may go through your head. First of all, you go, Yahoo, thank you, Jesus. Or you might think, oh, no, please, please, friend, turn and repent. Last spring, we did a series here at church called Hell More Than Flames. And I reminded us then, and I reminded us here now, that any time you think about judgment, hell, and damnation, there are tears in your eyes, there is a heaviness in your heart, because we're talking about people, daughters and sons, nieces and nephews, spouses, and dear, dear friends that we love and care for who will be separated from God Almighty. That's what's at stake, friends, in Isaiah chapter 66. So here's where we're going to go. We, we laid it out on the back of your bulletin, and I just want to draw your attention to the back of the bulletin. We tried to section that out. There's four sections in chapter 66. Here's where we're going to go. You'll see how we typeset this a little bit. Chapter, verses 1 through 4 and 18 through 24 match each other. They match each other. What you hear in 1 through 4, you'll hear it repeated again at the end. It's the posture of the immortal and the worldwide immortals that have come to worship our Father. But in the middle, there's a contrast. There's a flip. You see immortals who truly worship, and you see immortals who falsely worship. Do you see the contrast there? So, reading in Jesus' name, let's look at God's holy word. Isaiah 66. This is what the Lord says. Heaven is my throne, and the earth is my footstool. Where is the house you will build for me? Where will be my resting place? Has not my hand made all these things as that they came into being, declares the Lord? These are the ones I look on with favor, those who are humble and contrite in spirit and who tremble at my word. But whoever sacrifices a bull is like the one who kills a person. Whoever offers a lamb is like the one who breaks a dog's neck. Whoever makes a grain offering is like one who presents pig's blood. Whoever burns memorial incense is like the one who worships an idol. They have chosen their own ways and they delight in their ab abominations. So I will also choose harsh treatment for them and I will bring on them what they dread. For when I called, no one answered. When I spoke, no one listened. They did evil in my sight and choose what displeases me. The first section is this. The first section is this. Humble immortals tremble in the presence of the Lord's house. They tremble in the presence. They have a fear of the Lord. And they awe at his word. Second Kings, First uh, Kings, excuse me, verses chapter 8 through 27 is the sanctuary dedication that Solomon, David's son, built. And he, he says this statement, and you've got to wonder if he was chuckling when he said in 1 Kings 8.27 in the sanctuary dedication, but will God really dwell on earth? The heavens, even the highest heavens, can't contain you. How much less the temple I have built. In other words, there's not enough square footage to contain God in a house. Amen? Yeah. Isaiah's perspective, listen carefully. This is important. 
Isaiah's perspective on the question of the Lord living amongst his people is to ask, where can a house be found? In other words, though the Lord does indeed come to live with the people, he as created is too big for any house. The house as such is meaningless. What's important is rightly being related to the great occupant. Rightly being related to the great occupant. Isn't it interesting that the book of Corinthians says, do you not know, have you not heard that you are a temple of the most high God and that the Spirit of God lives in you? In verse 3, the CEV version says this, the people I treasure most are humble. They depend only on me and tremble when I speak. They tremble when I speak. One of the repeated themes throughout the gospel of Isaiah, you see it again and again in chapter 7, 9, and here in verse 2, a great and holy God rules all things, and our duty is to repent and trust in him alone. The other sad theme that's repeated again and again is God is offended by religious ritual, however impressive that may seem, if it conceals an empty heart and a careless life. Monthly, we have the opportunity to receive the body and blood of Christ and we examine ourselves and say, God, show me if there's any wicked way in me. Show that to me, please. I want you to do the Holy Spirit work in my life. The, the, the middle section, the middle section is that contrast. And we see immortals who truly worship and we see, who, who come to a sudden joy. And we see immortals who falsely worship. And you see this contrast right in the middle. Let me, let me just read some of the words. Hear the word of the Lord, you who tremble at his word. Your own people who hate you and exude you because of my name. Let the Lord be glorified that you may see your joy. Their joy will be sudden, yet they will be put to shame. Hear that uproar from, your, from the city. Hear that noise from the temple. It is the sound of the Lord repaying his enemies all they deserve. Where's that joy going to come from? Here's the hint. You ready? Pretty big hint. Verse 7. Before she goes into labor, she gave birth. Before the pains came upon her, she delivers a son. Not just any son. The one that has been long awaited. Old man Simeon said in Luke chapter 2, he held baby Jesus and he says, Now my eyes, now my eyes have seen the salvation of the Lord. He will change everything. The people of God are set aside, are set aside to serve him and to love him. And although Isaiah was talking about the people returning back from Babylon, the bigger shadow, the huge shadow is there would be one who comes, who pierces people's heart, his own presence would cause them to tremble. His name is Jesus. He is the most loved and hated person who's ever lived. 
He is the most worshipped and despised person who has ever, ever come. And those who love him, those who know him, know that we deserve none of his grace, none of his mercy. The false worshipers, the false worshipers have a, have a horrible, horrible future. Separation from God. You read about it in, in chapter, in verses 15 through 17. Read what it says. It says, see, the Lord is coming with fire, and his chariots are like a whirlwind. He will bring down his anger with fury and his rebuke with flames of fire. For with fire and with sword, the Lord will execute judgment on all people, and many will be slain by the Lord. Those who consecrate and purify themselves go into the gardens following one who is among them, who eat the flesh of pigs, rats, and other unclean things, and they will meet their end together with the one that follows, declares the Lord. Let me say, that, boy, that seems really harsh. Yet blessing and vengeance go together. They go together, and, and especially in this chapter, they abruptly flip back and forth. You might think, you might be going, man, Pastor Kirk, Isaiah's got, he's got a hard word. Well, this is a prophetic word, isn't it? It is a prophetic word. He's not the only one. Later, following him, is another prophet by the name of Ezekiel. And Ezekiel is a contemporary with Daniel. They're prophets in Babylon. And Ezekiel, if you read about it, jot this down to look at it another time. Read Ezekiel chapter 8. 7 through 18. Ezekiel chapter 8, just write it down and look it up on your own. Ezekiel chapter 8, verses 7 through 18. Ezekiel is given a vision and he, 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 there's a hole in the wall. There's a hole in the wall in the sanctuary. And God has Ezekiel look in and he sees the abominations and the sad comment throughout these verses. It just jumped out at me. I will show you something even more detestable. Repeat it again. I'll show you something even more detestable. Repeat it a third time. I will show you something even more detestable. Idolatry amongst God's people in the temple. What a, so what a sombering word. Sudden joy. Sudden doom. It's a word of caution for us. It's a strong word of caution to us. Listen, every era is filled with peril. Every person has not only a story, but a brokenness as well too. There's a good reason why one of the most quoted lines of all of Frederick Buchner's writing is this. Buchner was a 20th century Christian author a Presbyterian minister, and he made this powerful comment. He said, here is the world. Beautiful and terrible things will happen. Don't be afraid. Listen to that word, friend. Here is the world. Beautiful and terrible things will happen. Don't be afraid. Beautiful and terrible, created and fallen, redeemed and damned. Don't be afraid. This is a heavy message, Pastor. Do you have a word of encouragement to you? I sure do. This is the word from Isaiah chapter 66. Remember, the beginning of it and the end of it reflect one another. First, there were humble immortals. 
who would come to the Father's house. Now there's global immortals. Global immortals that come from all around the world. This is future. And what's really interesting is what it said in verses 18. It says this, because of what I have planned and done, I'm about to come and gather people of all nations and languages, and they will come and see my glory. I will set a sign among them, and I will send some of those who survived to the nations, to Tarshish, to the Lebians, Ledeans, famous archers, to Tubal and to Greece and to the distant islands that have not heard at my fame or seen my glory. They will proclaim my glory among the nations and they will bring all your people, listen to this, all your people from all nations to my holy mountain in Jerusalem as an offering to the Lord on horses, in chariots, and wagons, and on mules and camels, says the Lord. They will bring them as the Israelites bring their grain offering to the temple and the Lord in ceremonially, unclean, ceremonially clean vessels. In verse 21, and I will select some of them also to be priests and Levites. That sign is actually a banner. That sign in verse 19, that's a banner. Isaiah 11:10 tells us, in that day the root of Jesse will stand as a banner for the people. The nations will rally to him, and his resting place will be a glorious rest. You can't really Google and find the names of the countries that I just read, but here's what's happening. The repeated theme that we see in Isaiah 66, verse 18 is this. God will uphold his cause, and he will bring glory to himself. The return of Babylon is just a shadow of greater things to come. In 2022, we did a whole series on the book of Hebrews. The theme of the book of Hebrews, which is really a sermon, was this, Jesus is greater. And we see that greater happening in these verses. Here's how. In verses 19 and 20, it says this, the Old Testament ordinances are being wrapped up and completed in the new covenant of Jesus. No longer will only Levites be eligible to be priests, but rather all who are saved are his ministers. <laughs> we don't believe that. We sure do. Look at your bulletin. Look in the inside of the bulletin. Look what it lists as staff. Who's the first people on there? Ministers. Our congregation. We gather. We scatter. The Spirit of God gives you gifts that I don't have. And then you leave. All around the world. Wow. Here's how also it's changed. Those grain offerings, now you're the offering. I'm the offering. The Apostle Paul writes this in Romans 12, 1 and 2. Don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind and present your bodies as living sacrifices. How crazy is that? How can something that is living 
die. Unless we've been buried in Christ and then resurrected by Him. So we die to ourselves and say, Lord, what would you have me do today? The end of the book is the uncomfortable part. You get to verses 23 and 24. Well, let's just read it. As the new heavens and the new earth that I make will endure forever. Uh, excuse me. As the new heavens and the new earth that I make will endure before me, declares the Lord, so will your name and your descendants endure also. From one new moon to another and from one Sabbath to another, all mankind will come and bow down before me. And they will go out and look on the dead bodies of those who rebelled against me, and the worms that eat will not die. The fire that burns them will not be quenched, and they will not be loathsome to all mankind. It doesn't end real well. The Jewish practice of that day, synagogue leaders would not want to end with an ill omen. So their practice was, the pulpit commentary gave some help on this, the practice was synagogue leaders would, uh, would, would whether it was Ecclesiastes 12.14 or Lamentations 5.22 or Malachi 5.6, they wouldn't want to end on that. So they would circle back and read verse 23. That's not what Isaiah did, did he? He just kind of let it hang there. And, and in a beautiful way, Isaiah begins and ends with the creator and the ruler of the heavens. In Isaiah chapter 1, verse 2, we hear this word. It says this, Hear ye, you heavens, listen, for the Lord has spoken. I reared children and I brought them up, but they have rebelled against me. Those who are amagiodei, those who are immortal. And then... The scriptures end with this, as, or Isaiah does, as the new heavens and the new earth that I will make, I will endure before me, so will your name and descendants endure. And we read about those who rebel in verse 24. So how do we receive this word? We receive this word the, the same way we do when we take the body and blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. We receive it with gratitude. We receive it examining our hearts. We receive it in a, in a posture in such a way that I don't deserve this meal. You don't deserve this meal. Nobody deserves this meal. This comes as a gift. And with the gift, a proclamation. Your sins are forgiven. And what do I do then? Now go and tell. Now go and tell. Isaiah chapter 6 is the verse that we interact with as well too. What's the Spirit of God leading you to do to go and tell someone? What's the next Holy Spirit action? Because remember, remember, the gospel plays for keeps. This is not a game we're playing. This is not a church thing we do. Hell and heaven are real. And there's a continuation for all immortals. And the prophet Isaiah has a word for us. So may the Lord encourage you, grace you. We're going into the holidays, right? You may see large extended family. 
There may be awkward situations. May God grace you as you have conversations what to say to someone who doesn't know Christ. Fast and pray. Before we uh, take the body and blood of Christ to hear the words of institution and get ready, it would be appropriate for us to be quiet and to examine our hearts, right? And to ask God to show us our sin, to come to him. We start with these four questions. Do you believe? Do you believe in the promises that are found in God's word? Do you recognize Jesus' real presence here in this meal? Do you repent of your sins? And are you at peace, reconciled with fellow believers in this local church? Let's bow. Pray. Talk to the king who knows your heart. Oh, Heavenly Father, thank you for the word from your servant, the prophet Isaiah. Such a sombering word, filled with hope, filled with raw truth. Who do we have to run to but you and you alone? We worship you and we thank you. Hear the words of the Lord. There's a written notice above Jesus which read, This is the king of the Jews. And one of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him. Aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and us. But the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God? We're punished justly for we're getting what our deeds deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your house. And Jesus said, Truly I tell you, today you'll be with me in paradise. From noon until three in the afternoon, darkness came over all the land. And about three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eli, Eli, Lava Sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why have you abandoned me? Later, knowing that everything had now been finished, so scriptures would be fulfilled, Jesus said, I'm thirsty, and a jar of wine vinegar was there. So they soaked a sponge in it. They put the sponge on the stalk of a hyssop plant and lifted it to the lips of Jesus. And when he had received the drink, Jesus said, it is finished. And with that, he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Listen to these words. If we confess our sins, he who is faithful and just will forgive our sins and cleanse us, truly cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I invite you to stand at this time. Stand and confess the Christian faith, what the church has done for 2,000 years. If you will, this is the spine of Christianity. It means exactly that. This is what Christians believe. Let's confess out loud. Can you turn to that? I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. On the third day, he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there, he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Christian Church, the communion of the saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen.
the Lord Jesus Christ, on the night in which he was betrayed, he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it. And he said, this is my body, which is for you. Now do this in remembrance of me. And then Jesus took the cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to all of them, and he said, drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. So Paul writes, is not the cup of thanksgiving for which we give thanks a participation in the blood of Christ? Is not the bread that we break a participation in the body of Christ? Because there is one loaf, we who are many are one body, but we all share in that one loaf. Please have a seat. Just a few instructions. I'm going to call my friend Tim up. He's going to lead us in a, in a word of prayer. There are four different uh, sections here. If you're a guest this morning, I want to bring you up to speed on that. There are gluten-free wafers at each one. If you'd like to sing along with my friend Tim, uh, you can do that. If you just want to listen to the words, you can do that as well too. And just to be clear, we practice what's called an open communion here at Bethesda. That means this. If you are a follower of Jesus, if you love Jesus, if you know you need the forgiveness of sins for Jesus, you're welcome here. But I'm not a member. I'm a guest. You're welcome here. This is for broken people. We invite you to the table. We invite you to come up. And when you uh, get the, the bread and the, the juice, we ask that you would go back and then we'll all partake together. Now, friends, welcome to our Father's table. This is for the forgiveness of sins. Please come.